Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at five reasons for irrational exuberance in multifamily syndications. My guest in this episode today is Neil Bawa. Neil is the founder and CEO of Grow Capitus, a commercial real estate investment company that specializes in acquiring apartment complexes across the United States for over 300 investors. He is the CEO and founder of Multifamily U, a multifamily education business that teaches multifamily acquisition and management techniques to thousands of students every year. Grow Capitus has a portfolio of over $150 million that includes multifamily, student housing, and hospitality. Both new construction projects and value-add projects are being run by the Grow Capitus team. Over 4,000 real estate investors attend Neil's training webinars, seminars, and boot camps every single year. I have three Cashflow Ninja uh, community announcements. I just created a free Facebook group for all of our listeners. You could go to CashflowNinja.com forward slash Facebook and join our group or simply go to Facebook and search Cashflow Ninja community. Everything about our community will be shared uh, on that Facebook page. If you found what we've done valuable here at the Cashflow Ninja and want to support us, there are two ways to do it. The first way is go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review our show. This helps with iTunes algorithms and will help other people find the show. The second way to support us is to send us a video testimonial recorded with your smartphone to info at cashflowninja.com. Uh, we are building out a new website and would love to feature our listeners. The top 10 videos will receive Cashflow Ninja swag and will be featured on the new Cashflow Ninja website. And if you're interested in joining our investors group, go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form uh, and or email me at info cashflowninja.com to start the discussion and to see if you're a good fit for our group. And if you're in the Philadelphia, Bucks County, and Southern New Jersey area, we are hosting a live investors meetup event every month in Newtown, Pennsylvania. For more information on the monthly event and information on how to join us at our next live event, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash events. If you are like many of the listeners of the show, you're always looking for unique ways to protect and grow your hard-earned capital. But sometimes that's easier said than done. The key to investing late in the cycle is identifying favorable opportunities on a risk-adjusted basis. That's where our friends at ASIM Capital come in. Since 2011, ASIM has helped more than 300 accredited investors allocate more than $20 million to mobile home parks, self-storage, and workforce housing due to the ability to generate asymmetric returns while protecting their investors' portfolios. If you're interested in learning more, head over to asymcapital.com, that's A-S-Y-M capital.com to get instant access to their investment offerings. MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking 
also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Neil, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm, you know, thrilled to be on the show. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on. I've heard a lot of amazing things about you before we uh, we officially met through the web, right? Uh, yep. And uh, looking forward to to diving into our our conversation today and learning from you, uh, Neil. Before we uh, get started, can you please share a little uh, with my listeners uh, about yourself, who you are, and a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, unlike a lot of other people that are on your show, I'm not a real estate guy. I'm a tech nerd, um, a data scientist and somebody that uses data analytics extensively. So my brand is built on data driven investing. Um, You know, got lucky in that I got into real estate in reverse. Most people start with a single family home. I started with a five million dollar, 27,000 square foot campus that had to be built from scratch. And that was 2003. This was through my day job. And my boss just basically threw it at me. He was brilliant and he helped me a great deal. But, mm-hmm. but I pat myself on the back for taking a project from start to completion in nine months and three days. And that was hell. It was living hell. I think I slept for nine hours in those nine you know, months. But today I think of the g- incredible gift that my boss gave me at that point. To be honest, I was resentful. I was bitchy. I was moaning and complaining all the way through the nine months saying, hey, how is this part of my job? My job is chief operations officer and I have to run the company. And here I am doing real estate construction. But by the time I was done, I realized the value that we had added to the company was insane. And we did it again in two years. And then the second time, the building was bigger. The, the dollars were bigger and we didn't have enough cash left to pay for it ourselves. So we actually ended up doing a syndication, not knowing that we were doing a syndication. We, I didn't even know what that term meant back then. I didn't know what that term meant for another four years. So we probably broke all kind of SEC rules, but we, you know, we weren't trying to do multifamily type syndications. It was an office syndication where we were basically selling individual pieces off to individual investors and they were co-owners with us. So it all worked out, but it opened, you know, I, I ended up owning one of the one of the pieces of that second building. And that's when I realized the incredible benefits that you get from depreciation and from cash flow um, on, you know, holding on to that suite. And that's when my interest in real estate spiked. And then I went on to do, you know, single families. I own 10 single families in California. I, you know, I owned 10 triplexes in Chicago, um, in, you know, spent about a million and a half investing in various passive syndications, and then basically slowly over a number of years, migrated over to full-time syndication when, when we sold our technology business. So long story short, I've been in real estate in some form or the other for 16 years, but uh, I've only been um, you know, full-time after my company was sold in 2013. And um, you know, glad to be here in real estate. Though, though I, I see I see some challenges with real estate that I didn't see in technology. Let's uh, touch on that. What are some of the things that you're keeping an eye on uh, that a lot of folks aren't looking at? What are what what are, what are you looking at? Well, the first thing that I talk about is that I find that there's just a lot of lip service when people are talking about data and analytics and benchmarks and metrics. Everyone seems to imply in their PowerPoint decks and in in all of the stuff that they're doing that they're using data. I don't think that's the case. 
if that was the case, when you look at, you know, Wallet Hub's listing of the top 500 metros in the U.S., why would people be doing syndications in, in cities that are in the bottom three? Bottom three out of 515 metros, people are doing syndications there today. So I, don't, I think that there's, there's data is not being used to make effective decisions in real estate, especially not in multifamily syndication. It is actually being used to justify bad decision making. And that is a trend that I've seen worsening over the last two years as the quality of properties in the, in the market goes down. Why does it go down? Well, every good market has now traded twice in this cycle and okay properties have traded once. So what's left is really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And so you really have to uh, use data in a creative way. You know, I'm, I'm saying that definitely filled with sarcasm to justify your projected returns. And I'm seeing more and more of that in the marketplace. So my first, you know, comment is, I see the market becoming less and less analytical as time goes on. Which is, uh, sets it up for a, da- a dangerous uh, situation. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote, if you, if you torture data enough, it will confess, right? I think um, so. And I, I, love, I love that quote, right? And, and I see evidence of that, right? So you can make data say practically anything if you torture it enough. And I see that tor- evidence of that torture over and over again in the marketplace. Uh, what are some of the other things that you're seeing? Because we're seeing a lot of um, spikes in the syndication business. Uh, what, are, what are some of the other things that you're seeing? So think about this. You know, one of the things that I like to say is multifamily or apartments are not in a bubble. However, multifamily syndication this is the you know, recent process of buying large multifamilies with sliced up investor money, appears to now be in a bubble. And, and this, uh, you know, my, this, this is, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of this as I see more and more data going forward. And lots of reasons for that, right? So syndication really took off in the 2012, 13 timeframe. The Jobs Act did make it easier for you know, syndicators to get money from investors, including non-accredited investors. And when that happened, that liberalization was kind of similar to what you know what what has happened in the past where the some government agency you know opens the floodgates and this is what happened when the federal reserve lowered interest rates in 2003 and we ended up developing a bubble and that same sort of bubble has now developed in syndication because it became easier to raise money um, and the returns from syndication in the 2013, 14, 15, 16 timeframe were really extraordinary. They were phenomenal because all ships were rising. We had, for the first time in the history of this country, a year where rents across the entire country went up faster than 5%, which is a stunning number. Um, and, and as a result, everyone looked like a hero. And and so it became easier to start justifying current projects based on past returns. And now a bubble is developing. We see a very large number of people getting into the business. And this very large number of people are talking about past returns, but that doesn't appear to be matching up present performance. Very interesting. So 2013, the Jobs Act, we're now, what, six years uh, and counting in the yep. from from a ton of capital uh, fl- um, coming into that, you were talking about some of the properties trading twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things. And then, of course, there's uh, a lot of um, irrational 
exuberance coming in. What what are some of the reasons you and I uh, talked a little bit previously? You'd uh, mentioned that there's you're concerned about about approximately five things that you're seeing out there. What yep. are some of the things that you're looking at? Well, so these five things together collectively represent this irrational exuberance that is developing in our marketplace. Okay, and. There's more than five, but here, here's my top five in terms of the irrational exuberance. So number one is, you know, I'm, I'm part of a large number of Facebook groups that have either syndicators or budding syndicators, right? Mostly budding syndicators, but also active syndicators that are buying multifamily properties. And irrational exuberance develops when everyone thinks that they have won because they bought something, okay? And so more and more, of the posts on the internet appear to be about I bought X or I put Y property in contract. And the high fives that go on when somebody actually purchases a property is, you know, it's, it, yeah, people have worked hard and they've, you know, closed a property. It's, it's obviously hard work to close a property. I get that. But what I'm not seeing after that are enough high fives with, with people saying, well, I'm distributing 8% to my investors, or my property is on track, or my property is staying on performa, or my property is staying above performa. That is not happening. And when you see too much exuberance around the purchase of a property and too little around the serving of the investors that were, you know, whose money was used to buy, that is the first symptom that irrational exuberance is developing. And keep in mind, I'm not talking about irrational exuberance in the multifamily market. I'm talking about irrational exuberance in the multifamily syndication market. I think that this is a market that has, at this point, too much money, too many people chasing too few deals. And whenever that happens, the end result is not going to be good. What would you say is the percentage uh, of the, the size of the, the syndication multifamily market with regards to the overall market size? Well, so, you know, I, I don't have specific numbers to give you, but I think that the overall syndication market, you know, when, when, I, when I say syndicators, I'm talking about people that are fairly new to syndication, right? So maybe they got in in the last five or six years. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm in that group. When I see that group, that group is a fairly small percentage of the overall multifamily market because they've always mm-hmm. been syndicators that are, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. They've got, you know, established asset management. They've got entire groups of people that do acquisition for them. We're not talking about those. We're mm-hmm. talking about people that are taking some class or some course from some guru and then basically getting into the business of syndication in 2017 or 18 or 19. And that group... I think still represents a small portion of multifamily. Now, everyone in that group has started to think that they represent multifamily as a market. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is a trillion dollar market with tens of thousands of transactions. And most of the big transactions are not coming from the syndicators because they're above that 30 or $40 million mark. And, and so a big part of the multifamily industry is not visible to syndicators. What is visible that particular portion, I'm, I'm going to speculate and say it's you know maybe 5% of the overall transactions. I think that is the portion that has become overly exuberant, not the rest of the marketplace. The rest of the marketplace understands that we prices are high and interest rates are low, cap rates are low. And so there has been a slow 
you know, uh, retrenchment of the money when you look at uh, institutional capital coming into multifamily. Those guys are afraid. Those guys think that we are at at peak multifamily. Those guys are thinking, you know, we have to be more careful about where we buy. Where this group of young syndicators, let's call them that, you know, they're not young in age, but young in terms of the amount of time that they've been syndicating, doesn't seem to feel that way. You know, it, what's interesting is, and, and here's an example, MC, right? So th- I, I was shocked by this example. Um, so someone recently posted, one of my students, you know, his name's KK, he recently posted a very good article about rent growth slowing across the US. So this was an article from, you know, a few weeks ago. And the article pointed out that, look, guys, rent growth is slowing. It's slowing all across the US. Some markets are slowing more than others. And, and some of it is because of affordability issues. And some of it is because of overbuilding. So really well-written article. Um, and, and anyone who's in syndication should pay heed to it. Five minutes after the article goes up, MC, someone says, don't post articles like this because, you know, when you keep talking about something, it becomes true. We are in a great market and we should be buying and buying and buying. When people say that and 12 people in the next hour click the like button for that person, I know that those are not investors. Those are speculators. These are people that are speculating. They're coming in at the end of a glorious market and thinking that it keeps going like this forever, which is just by definition, a nonsensical concept. So I keep seeing people thinking that because it's been phenomenal for the last four or five years, the next five years are going to be phenomenal. And the the very notion itself is absurd. And to try and pull somebody down that is basically giving a warning that things are changing is even more absurd. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the other things that you're seeing uh, and reasons for irrational exuberance? There's no discussion of asset management. So the number two flag that I'd like to talk about is we're not talking about asset management, right? So here is, so all of these, these people that are brand new to multifamily, let me give you a visual pictorial of what you're doing when you buy a multifamily property. As you know, you can't really charge a salary to manage a multifamily property, you, you charge a very small asset management fee, but by the time it's split amongst partners, it might be you know, three, four or $5,000 a year per partner. It's, it's tiny, it's nothing, right? It, it wouldn't even pay for your, uh, your basic bills. It's not gonna yeah. pay even your food bill. So you're not getting paid on a monthly basis to manage this property, right? Firstly, understand that. So what you're really doing is you're taking this really you know, heavy 500 pound anchor and you're taking the chain of that anchor and wrapping it around your neck. That's what you do when you buy a multifamily. Now, the next five years represent you fighting against the weight of that anchor and pulling it out of the water. And if you pull it out all the way, you've succeeded and maybe doubled your investor's money. But it is the process of pulling it out of the water. The anchor is thrown into the water on the day that you purchase a property. And the thing that makes you get the anchor out of the water is asset management, the process of proactive, continuous um, data analytics driven uh, asset management with some clever tweaks. I see some syndicators doing things that are very clever and I'm very um, proud to know these people and, and see what they're doing. But the vast majority of the marketplace, what I see is that once the property is purchased within 30 days, the focus moves on to when are we buying the next one? And I think that that's shocking because the syndication business is by its very nature unstable because of the fact that there's not a huge amount of money up front, right? You get a, you get a, um, you get a acquisition fee, but that fee 
a lot of it goes back in as you're skinning the game into the projects you're investing. So, you, you know, a lot of that money goes back in. And by the time you're doing your second or third syndication, now you're hiring operational people and staff and asset managers and acquisitions people and underwriting experts. And so that money is going back in there. So the biggest challenge that I see is all these people that are getting into uh, asset management are not doing it on a full-time basis. They all have day jobs. So when the next recession hits and the property demands more time, which of those are going to actually peel off more time from their day job and invest that time into the property? Because the amount of time being invested today is maybe a third of what will need to be invested if we go into a recession. I don't see that discussion about asset management. I don't see that focus about asset management. I see too many people talking about properties and not enough people talking about, hey, how, what do we do to manage these things? Yeah. It's uh, it's so true in the in the marketing that's out there too. It's a lot of focus of how to buy, go out and buy properties, and I don't see as much even on the educational side where there's a ton of stuff out there of how to how to manage it properly, as you mentioned. Right. I, I see. If you look at you know the educational offerings out there, they are unquestionably let's just say very light on the asset management of things, and there's there's some rationality to that. You know, when a student comes in, you, you can't really teach him about asset management too much because he doesn't have a property. And so it all seems theoretical. I get that. But I think what really should be happening is think of everything that you teach the students up front as the bachelor's degree. And then everything that you teach them after that as the master's degree, right? So the asset right. management is the master's degree. And I don't see enough educators coming back in and saying, look, you really need that master's degree in asset management to really get uh, you know, your job done. There's not enough conversation about that. It should be happening. I see a few educators doing it and I pat them on the back and I you know, like that every time I see it on Facebook or LinkedIn, but just not enough happening there. So that second you know, symptom for me is the lack of focus on asset management. And I think it really hurts investors. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, let's uh, move on to the third one. The third one, I think, is questionable practices when raising money. I see more and more practices and more and more, I mean, even some of the people that I very much respect sending out emails to 10,000 people saying, hey, if you raise money for me, I will give you a prorated GP stake. I've done my research on this. I almost went that route myself, and I found that it's very difficult to do that legally. So while some people are doing it in a quasi-legal fashion where they might at least have some protection from the SEC, the vast majority appear to doing, be doing it in a catch-me-if-you-can way or a I'm too small for the Securities and Exchange Commission to come and catch me. What they're not reading are advisories from smart lawyers, well-known lawyers like Gillian Sidoti, Gene Trowbridge, uh, Kim Lisa Taylor. These people are putting out articles about the SEC's enforcement activity in 2019. And the SEC absolutely is going after small syndicators, new syndicators. We all, you know, nobody has their, their hands clean here, right? But it appears that instead of, as you get more experience, you, know, you should move towards compliance, right? Compliance is not a, compliance is not something that you, once you grab it, you have it. Compliance is a process. You move from being non-compliant to being compliant over time, and you, you do it by creating the, the right systems and processes. What I am seeing in the syndication industry is a move away from compliance because more and more people are being 
bullish about, hey, you know, there's 10,000 syndications. Who's the SEC going to catch? What they don't understand is if the SEC comes after you, the biggest loser is not the syndicator. It's the investors. It's the investors at that point of time because all kinds of bad things will be happening in terms of you know money being returned, quarter million dollar fees, quarter million dollar lawyer fees. There's a lot that is going to happen. So in my mind, I'm going to make a prediction, MC. In the next 18 months, one of the big wigs of the syndication industry goes down, goes down to the Securities and Exchange Commission. This, the way that money is being raised is blatantly wrong. And while I would not say I'm the white knight, I would certainly say that I'm, I'm in the group of people that are much more careful, that document everything that they do. I document every investor conversation in at least three different ways. A calendar invite, a phone log, and a fairly long one-page long note of what the investor said. I don't send out email blasts to new investors in my database. I, I wait. I want the records to age. And I talk with every single investor I have, and I document that conversation. I don't believe everyone else is doing that. I believe that there are a significant percentage of people closing three, five, six million dollar equity raises have never talked with their investors. And that is stunning. That is not something that comes even close to being legal. And the risks being taken on the investor's behalf are just jaw-dropping. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for high yield returns from multifamily apartments, ATM machines, and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Asset Investor offers, such as their multifamily, ATM, and cell storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. Uh, this is very interesting that, uh, as you mentioned, this has been documented and, and written about in articles too, that the SEC is starting to enforce certain regulations and going after small, smaller uh, uh, syndicators. So this is, I mean, th this, this is definitely something that, that folks should be aware of that I don't think a lot of people uh, are aware of nor sharing. Mm -hmm. and, My, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead, MC. 
No, I was I was just going to say that this is this is definitely I mean something that that everyone should be should be aware of. Right. So my fourth indicator that an irrational exuberance driven bubble is building is that uh, I have a friend who works. I'm not going to name him. Uh, you know, he would get beaten up by 20 other people if I did. He happens to work for one of the biggest crowdfunding portals, right? And um, so a lot of companies are listing through crowdfunding portals and a lot of companies apply to crowdfunding portals and get turned down. This particular gentleman has enormous access to a very large number of projects, some that made it to the crowdfunding portals and some that were turned down. He happens to have a team of underwriters and he made a recent statement to me that was shocking. He says, Neil, from what I can see, an extraordinarily small percentage of 2019 purchases and late 2018 or second half 2018 purchases, so the last 12 months, are on target for Performa. He thinks it is single digit of the properties that are on target for Performa. And he thinks that maybe another 10% of them are fairly close to Performa. And he thinks that 80% of them are way off Performa. And irrational exuberance is what leads to purchase prices that lead to these sorts of things. Lack of experience among syndicators in terms of managing and, and, and leasing their properties is what leads to these kinds of numbers. And when I hear that, in, in the back of my mind, my mind is going, yep, this is another sign of irrational exuberance. You have a market that is stable. You have a market where rents are currently, right, in, in the last 12 months, they have been higher than the historical norm. The historical norm in the US is 2% rent growth. And we've been well over that. For Class C, we've been at well over 3% in the last 12 months. So when you have above trend rent growth and ridiculously below trend performa growth, doesn't that suggest a very large bubble? Yeah. Right. And so the, 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 the bigger fear for me is that when a large number of these in these syndicators who basically peeled off of their day jobs and are still doing their day jobs realize, wait a minute, my chances of hitting performa on my first and my second property are close to zero. I wonder how many of them will stick it out. I wonder how many of them will be on property calls two years from now or three years from now, right? How many of them will actually do what they told the investors they would be doing realizing that they basically are in an unpaid situation for up to five years. I think that scenario keeps me up at night because that's the worst thing that could be happening to investors. And if we do not, and by the way, by the way, these numbers could go down with a recession, right? Right now we've had seven or eight years of just things going right. At what time in the last seven years have things gone wrong for the multifamily market? That's not normal. In a, in a market, good things and bad things happen in equal proportion, right? Or more or less equal proportion, maybe 60, 60% good, 40% bad. Where's that 40%? If the 40% hasn't happened, rent growth is above trend and almost nobody is hitting performa, what happens when we get into a recession? Could that number fall to low single digits? I think so. Very, very interesting. And what what would be the final reason, the fifth reason for irrational exuberance in syndications? Um, let me think about which one I want to pick here because there's a there's you know 
there's several that I've been thinking about. I think that are um, are reasons that I want to bring forth. So recently, I have started to see people paying a huge amount of money for Class C and justifying it by saying Class C is recession resistant. Okay, so people are saying, well, nobody has the money. When, when a recession happens, people are only going to go to Class C because they can't afford Class B and they can't afford Class A. So you should be investing with me in a Class C you know, property that I'm buying in a really bad area that you know, costs eighty dollars or $90,000 a unit. Why? Because when a recession happens, I'm going to do better than my Class A and Class B brethren. This is complete nonsense. This is absolute and utter nonsense. There's actually no statistical evidence in past recessions or in the Great Recession that Class C does better than Class A or Class B. It doesn't. And, and the fact that this is actually being used as a selling point over and over again is, in my mind, ridiculous. But I see more and more evidence of it, more and more people posting it. I believe what's actually happening is if one person says this on Facebook and 10 people like it, another guy says it, and then the next guy says it, and the next guy says it, and basically you keep repeating this. There are many reasons today to buy Class C real estate. Most of my you know, portfolio is, real estate, is, is Class C, right? And I'm, I will continue to buy Class C. But to imply that we are buying Class C because it is recession resistant is totally nonsensical. What is actually going to happen is this. Recessions are actually declared after the fact. So recessions are tied in the US to two negative quarters of, of growth, GDP or gross domestic product growth. So when the Federal Reserve notices one quarter of negative GDP growth, it, their economists publicly start writing about it saying, hey, we, we just had a negative quarter and this quarter doesn't look too group good. So it's possible that 90 days from now we could be in a recession. So they start writing about that, but the first that first quarter is already passed, right? right. And sometimes they don't notice it that we have negative, you know, because negative GDP growth in a, in a quarter does happen. If you go back and look at the last seven years, one quarter negative GDP growth every once in a while is fairly common. And so when that happens, the people that get hit the most are the people that are living in those Class C properties. And these people, I can tell you, MC, they don't have a dollar to their name if they lose their job. And even if they don't lose their job, their hours get cut, right? So mm -hmm. the Starbucks that was open 15 hours suddenly decides to, to be open for 11 hours and their hours get cut. And the only thing that was allowing them to pay their rent was these extra hours. And so now you start seeing delinquency. You start seeing people leave. You start seeing people just you know, leave with all the trash in their apartment, which costs you $500 to basically untrash that apartment out. Leave in the middle of a month. It's very hard to rent out. Um, you also start seeing as tenants come up for renewals, instead of those tenants saying, you, you pushing them for 3% rent increases, they're pushing for a 5% rent decrease. And they're saying, I'm going to leave if you, if you don't decrease my rent. And there are Class C tenants tend to do this a lot more than Class B tenants. Class B tenants, if there's no rent increases, they're happy. Class C tenants, as soon as the market turns and they get the power, will actually negotiate concessions for existing tenants. Newer tenants are even worse because all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, the market's changing. I've got the power. And now he's basically saying, I want one month rent for free because the property down the street is giving me a month for free. That property might, in fact, not be offering any concession at all. But you don't know that at this point in time. And many times people say yes. So... While I don't expect there to be an, a decrease in occupancy in a, in a recession in Class C because of you know, shortages of Class C pro product, 
I do expect that net operating income will decrease. NOI is very likely to go down. Delinquency, bad debt, um, rapid turnover, increase in maintenance cost, uh, and a variety of other similar things will happen. And so my message to my investors is this. If we have one negative quarter of GDP growth, I will write a detailed letter, a very boring but detailed letter with charts and graphs to my investors, telling them that I'm temporarily stopping their distributions. I'm gonna take their distributions and create a war chest. If there's a second quarter of negative GDP growth, I will continue developing that war chest. I'll keep developing it in case something bad happens, right? And if nothing bad happens, after two quarters, the economy returns back to level, I'll distribute the money from that war chest. It's not my money, it's theirs. I'm just keeping it just in case. If after one quarter, the economy returns to positive, I distribute the war chest. But if after two quarters, the Federal Reserve declares a recession, I am just going to keep building that war chest until the day the recession ends. Doesn't matter how much money ends up being in that war chest. Doesn't matter how well my property is doing. I'm gonna build that war chest because I don't know when that recession will end. It could end after six months. It could end after two years. Who knows, right? right. That is the approach that I believe everybody should be taking. I just don't even think that people are thinking about this because I mean, this whole concept of my class C property will do better in a recession is preventing people from preparing. A recession is coming and no one's preparing for it because everyone thinks that it's going to be a better time for them. Why prepare when it's going to be a better time, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and that for me is that fifth symptom, MC. I, I, what I'm seeing on the internet is it defies belief. Yep. And how how much more do, or longer do you think we have to inflate uh, this bubble in this little niche? And um, how does how does this look when the dust settles off to the pop? Well, that's that's the one piece of good news. I mean, so far, obviously, today's you know um, discussion has not been good news. The one piece of good news is this: that our economy, our real estate economy today, is not di- driven by supply and demand. It absolutely is not. It is actually driven by the fact that since 2008, federal banks throughout the world take actions in tandem whenever there's talk of a downturn and they they ease monetary policy and they create quantitative easing, which is a a factor of, of monetary policy. So what they do is they drop interest rates or they threaten to drop interest rates or they publicly start talking about threatening to drop interest rates. Those things work. And so monetary policy worldwide is extremely supportive in the short run, medium run, and long run, extremely supportive of any kind of risk asset, multifamily, class A, class B, class C, um, stocks, you know, basically any kind of risk asset, monetary policy is extremely supportive of that. This is why I'm in multifamily. I'm not in multifamily because I don't see a recession coming. A recession is inevitable. And in my mind, there's only two options here, MC. What I hope is, you know, is, is option one. Option one is sometime later this year or sometime next year, the US and the world economy goes into a six month to nine month recession. Things are just, some companies go out of business. There's a normal adjustment of the business cycle, which is very healthy. The second one is there's no recession in 2019, 20 or 2021, maybe even 2022, because the Federal Reserve keeps tinkering with interest rates and prevents us from going into a recession. Well, then in my mind, then we have a crash. Then 2023, 2024, somewhere down the line, I don't know when, 
we get a 2008 repeat with a severe meltdown in, in risk asset prices. And I'm hoping that that is not the path that we pursue, but I have no control over it. Absolutely. So best to prepare as you were sharing and also study and be aware of what's going on and looking for warning signs. And one of the habits I've observed from wealthy and successful people, Neil, is that they're always researching, studying, uh, and learning new things and skill sets. What are you currently studying and learning? So to me, I believe that, you know, in the past, I used to read more multifamily books. And now I'm actually reading books about economics because I'm finding that the patterns that I see in multifamily appear to be mostly related to economics. So I'm reading economics books, mostly not books. I'm actually reading blogs about where the world economy is, uh, a number of different blogs. So that's part of my reading. Um, I'm also, the, 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 the key focus that I have for the moment is simply to talk about what can I do? What can I do? independent of a property manager to improve my properties. So I'm taking a very large number of steps to do proactive asset management. Let's call it um, sales-driven asset management, where the focus is on growing my my rents, growing my uh, net operating income, growing my occupancy beyond what a property manager is capable of uh, by doing lead management, by doing lead processing, by doing a variety of different things through my army in the Philippines to, um, to basically improve NOI in my properties. Because I feel like right now, everything is priced to perfection. There's no way I can get discounts in the marketplace. And I, I, by the way, I also see this thing where people are saying that they're getting properties cheaper than the marketplace. I think that's nonsense. I, I think it's total nonsense. Everyone's paying market. And the market is priced to perfection. Therefore, by definition, everyone's overpaying. Every property that Neil Bawa is buying is a property that I'm overpaying on. It's just that doesn't necessarily prevent me from hitting performa if I am able to do more than what a typical property manager is capable of. And so that's the approach that I'm taking. And so I'm studying all the different ways of creating ancillary revenue, uh, covered parking, washer dryer combos, uh, pet rent. How can I get more of all of those things? Because all of them matter a great deal. Can I do Airbnb in my properties? Can I do uh, long-term rentals for nurses? Those are the sort of things that are attracting my attention, research, focus, learning, because I think that's where we need to go at this point because the market's priced to perfection. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So, Neil, if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? The first principle is be as transparent as you can be. I can't say that I'm 100% transparent, but I'm always endeavoring to be transparent to my investors, transparent to my community, transparent in terms of my thoughts, because I find that when I do that, it drives me towards excellence rather than driving me towards being a salesperson. So be as transparent as you can. Yes, there will be some pain associated with transparency, but I think in the end, you're going to come out much better especially in this sort of a business. Um, the, the second is understand that raising money, equity, raising money by itself is not a benefit to society. You need to provide tangible benefits for all of your projects. And that, that might be real estate or anything else. I think tangible benefits 
in everything. Look to add value into everything that you're doing because if you're not adding value, you're not adding value. You, you're simply not a value-add person and wealth is unlikely to gravitate towards you. It may have in the past, but things were different then. This is a different market. For wealth to go towards you, you must add value into everything that you do. I think the third one I think is fairly obvious. Be data-driven. Be totally, totally, completely, utterly data-driven. Don't use data to justify your argument. Use arguments to justify your data. Fantastic. Neil, where can my listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Where can they stay in touch? And where can they um, stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? I come from a family where everyone was an educator and I believe in education. I believe in transparent education. So we have a portal. It is www.multifamilyu.com, multifamily followed by the letter u.com. We do over 50 data-driven deep dive fairly long duration webinars on this site. For example, I believe next week we have CoStar talking about one of our most prominent cities and its trends. And, you know, just adds up, the trends are not very good. Um, and this is a city that everybody on the web thinks is bulletproof. And so there's a webinar about that. So every week we do webinars about issues that concern people in real estate in general, people in multifamily and people in multifamily syndication. And so you've got more than 50 events a year that where true value is being created without a sales pitch. Check those out at multifamilyu.com. Uh, many of my own webinars are also on this website. So that's the right way to stay in touch with us. Check out multifamilyu.com. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This was incredibly informative and very, very timely and very important. I appreciate you and appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks so much, MC. You, you gave me a chance to voice some of the concerns that I've been feeling that are building up. And, you know, a lot of my podcasts have been very positive and I'm, I'm very bullish on the market in, in general, but I'm not bullish on it in the short term. And I do think that there are some very big problems in the market that need to correct. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.